Support for Jazzed About Work comes from Ohio University's online master's degree in sustainability, security, and resilience. Does your organization or community have a workable plan for when a catastrophe strikes? This 18-month online degree program will give you the skills you need to prepare for, respond to, and recover from natural disasters and other crises. Participants earn three stackable certificates in community risk and resilience, change management and leadership, and planning resilient systems leading to a full master's degree. Students learn cutting-edge skills in sustainability assessment and entrepreneurship, sustainable agriculture, energy policy, and more. This is an exciting growing field, and no GRE test is required to apply. For more information, follow the link in the description on this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. I've been looking forward to today's show because our return guest is my good friend, Carrie Hannon. She's a leading expert on career and workplace issues, and her energy inspires me. Carrie has written more than a dozen popular books, and her Yahoo column is read by millions and millions of people. She's a well-known speaker and media presence, and she always has something interesting to say. Today, Carrie will talk about major workplace trends and career opportunities. She'll share advice on how to prepare for retirement, no matter what your age is right now. And she'll offer tips about preparing for your next career phase. I'm so excited to have you back with us today. Thanks for joining us here on Jazzed About Work. Oh, Bev, it's a, it's a delight to be here. As always, I, we always have engaging conversations, and uh, and so I've been I've been really looking forward to this opportunity. Well, it's been a while since you were here, almost two years, and, and the last time you were here. We were talking about what was then your brand new book, your brand new book, which is like your 14th book or something like that. <laughs> and that that book is uh, Control at 50, How to Succeed in the New World of Work. And, and that time, of course, we were talking about what's the new world of work going to be? And it feels to me that in under two years, particularly for older workers, there have been a lot of changes. So let's talk again about what trends you're seeing I and, and what's happened in the last two years and, and what things are um, a little bit different. I, I went through um, your column recently, uh, your Yahoo column, which gets millions and millions of um, viewers and listeners. And um, I, I liked the piece you did on how 
more people over 65 are working these days and they're a lot of them are happy about it. So can we start with that? What is the picture of people over 65 working and of people maybe much younger thinking about working? But what what are the the numbers these days? Is it really up for people over 65? Yeah, you know, it, it actually is. And, and there's so many great things happening in the workplace right now that coming out of the pandemic... Um, it has been a boon for workers, uh, particularly older workers, I think, have seen a real um, uptick in their um, ability to find interesting work, uh, employers being a little more uh, willing to uh, hire and engage and retain them. Uh, and there are a couple reasons for this. The the economy has been fantastic in terms of the job market. It's been very robust, and there's still more jobs um, out there than there are uh, employees looking, workers looking for jobs. And so, what this means is this tight labor market, which is loosening a bit. I agree, but there's still employers are still really looking for people who have experience, who can step right in and do the job now. So there are wonderful opportunities out there. And what you and I talked about last time were the four major trends in the workplace I saw coming out of the pandemic. And they were, you know, the the upsurge in remote work, the swelling of contract positions, the um, number of entrepreneurs just exploding. And uh, the the um, career transition became a really uh, interesting phenomenon, not only for older workers, but younger workers, as did lifelong learning. So it, all of these things really have come true in the last two years. We are seeing that the firmly planted there. And for older workers, those ones you referred to, over 65, the ability to work remotely and to do contract work uh, has been a really nice way to stay in the job market, to keep on earning, and also to be engaged um, mentally, which I know is something you and I talk a lot about, that even people who have saved adequately for retirement, continuing to work in some fashion as a financial safety net, but also as a, a mental engagement keeps you healthier. On, on many levels. So uh, what I saw was an interesting statistic um, this uh, last week is uh, the uh, conference board, which is a, you know, a group of, of sort of top uh, CEOs. They were asked about their priorities for 2024. And what I found so intriguing is just 4% of those CEOs said making people return to the office was a top priority. So all of this, you know, shouting and stomping their feet about everyone's got to come back to work, not so much. Um, and, uh, you know, the labor shortages are still serious and um, companies are realizing, yeah, you can stay uh, working remotely. Although I do think hybrid is really the thing there, but, you know, people working sometime in the office, sometimes remotely, but this is great. These opportunities are really terrific for the older worker to, you know, uh, if they want to do a career transition, 
if you have a contract position, what an interesting way to kind of test the waters there and see if it's something you really want to do. Uh, or uh, as a way to keep income coming in, if you want to start your own business. And also, if you want to hire employees, this is having a contract worker is so far easier than outsourcing that way than having to put somebody on staff. So I think there's some really positive things happening. And I do think uh, people are starting to get a, a grip on this idea that um, that the longer you can keep earning, sort of the more, um, you know, when they actually look at the their retirement accounts, which actually did quite well this last year in 2023, as the markets were up uh, fairly strongly. But if you think about retiring in the old uh, sort of mindset of 65 and we're living and we can get into this a bit more, but uh, say you're living till 95, uh, do you really have enough socked away to finance three decades of living? Um, so uh, there's sort of a bit of an urgency to continuing to earn as long as you can. Well, it sounds like um, a lot of people are not focus very smartly on retirement. And I want to get to that uh, in a minute. But one thing, I one of your columns, one of your recent ones, I remember caught my eye. And that is that people are kind of justifying not worrying about retirement too much because they're saying to themselves, well, everybody's working. I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to work till I'm 80. I'm, you know, people are just sort of almost assuming that's going to be a possibility. But you and I know that you always have to be preparing for your next phase, whether you're 20 or, or you're 60. It never just happens automatically. Do you? And it feels like um, it, it's a little scary for people if they're just assuming they can work. Do, do you agree with that, don't you? Oh, 100%, Bevy. So you hit it spot on because the fact is, you know, you can't sit back and rest on your laurels, so to speak, that, you know, that you are going to uh, be able to continue in the workplace, uh, either in your existing job or that someone is going to hire you if you're not putting in out there yourself. It's not something that's going to come to you. You have to be proactive. And uh, Transamerica Institute did a study showing that, yes, in fact, you know, more employers, as we talked about earlier, are uh, realizing that they need to um, retain and attract older workers. It doesn't say that they're actually hiring them in huge numbers, but the fact is they actually are, are now saying that they're cognizant of it. And in that study also, it showed these older workers saying, hey, you know, we want to keep working longer. But then you go a little bit further and say, okay, they, they said, well, what are, what are you doing to make sure that's happening? And the fact is they found that many people are not continuing to add new skills. They're not getting out there and networking, going to industry events, keeping abreast of changes and trends in their industry. And, and, and that is just, things are just moving too quickly for you to stay put right where you are. If you're not, you know, staying on top of the latest technology, it changes so quickly. And, um, you know, one of my favorite lines is, you know, if you're not learning, you're not earning. And so the fact is, it is not, uh, it's a two-way street. If you want to stay in the workplace, then you got to do a little work and you got to stay engaged. Well, I think that's true at any age that, that you're always having to, um, keep learning if you're going to be relevant. You're always needing to building your network if you're going to be searching for a job. But it's so much more important 
for older people, I think, partly because there still is ageism out there. There's still a assumption that if you're older, you're going to not be as sharp and things like that. So there's a special need, even if um, you think you're pretty confident you can get a job, there's a special need to keep learning and keep building up that skill sets, isn't there? There is. And you need to, if you do get in for those interviews. And again, you know, most people are going to find work at this stage of life through people they know, through your network. That's, that's really, you know, you and I have used this line, you know, if your, your network, you know, network is one letter away from not working, networking is one letter away from not working. So if you're not tapping into that network, because employers tend to hire people they know, or people they know, know, you can look at all the great job boards in the world, get ideas of who's hiring. But if you don't have a connection there, it's going to be hard. So if you're not out really taking a, a good crack at, at it, and these don't have to be, these are, you know, you just stay on, you talk to people, you reach out, you're not asking for a job all the time. But but I do think the fact of, of adding new skills is important. And if you can put things like that on your resume, and it's a whole art, of course, resumes these days, but if you can have that, you've just added these new skills and hopefully appropriate to whatever the job is that you want to do, or you use the word curious. If you get in for an interview, if you can just say, I'm curious about, you need to show that your mind is open to learning new things and you're excited about learning new things. So there's that sense of curiosity and people may not even a hiring manager might not even recognize what that is, but but it's something that that does capture a piece of energy and enthusiasm that that can go a long way to getting you into a position that that will be fantastic for you. And, and aside from getting a job, um, the same kind of learning pattern and uh, I think open mindedness is is critical for just thriving in the job. We are in an unusual situation, something that's never happened in all of history of civilization, and that is that right now there are five generations of workers in the workplace. And each of the generations, from, from the, the people who are the silent generation before the boomers to the, to the Gen Xs, They've learned com- how to communicate in different ways because they grew up in different situations. So now every workplace that has a mix of generations, maybe not all five, but three is still pretty um, difficult sometimes. All of these workplaces are um, facing communications issues and other kinds of culture issues as as people bump into each other. Are, are you noticing um, that that I know you spoke recently that it's possible for everybody to thrive. If, if you do have a multi-generational um, workplace, how does everybody get along and how do they work well together? Yeah, you know, Bev, that is so important. And I'm really glad you, you brought that up because, you know, one of the issues also stepping back a second to our earlier discussion about uh, workers, uh, older workers uh, having more opportunities now is this is going to be a fact of life if employers don't get on board with this because the the overall demographic shift to global aging and um, you know the 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 decline in fertility and the fact that there are more people over sixty five than under eighteen. This is it really has a lot of repercussions on the workplace, and what that means is that workers employers need to hang on to those older workers. 
uh, because there's not as many young people coming up through the system, and this is going to continue. This is uh, just the beginning of what we're seeing in this in this big shift. And so where you will have those several generations in the workplace, and yes, in fact, we all do communicate quite differently. And I'll briefly tell you sort of my experience, but the solution in many cases, Bev, and I think you'd be on board with this because you do a lot of this yourself, is mentoring. If companies can set up Really, and it's a little tricky, but if you can have a successful mentorship program set up where there's reverse mentoring, younger to older, different generations, if you can build these relationships, and and you probably know best how to advise companies to do that, but that's where you can start to find the synergies between them because you know study after study shows that when you have multi-generational teams, they're more productive um, and uh, the performance is better. But it comes to really how we relate to one another because say Gen Z, the people in their the youngest twenties or so coming through, people say, you know, they're they're lazy and they're, you know, they have a sense of entitlement and all of this. And I, I think that's simply not true. I think they absolutely have never, some of them, especially coming out of the pandemic, never uh, have been in an office. They've been always remote. So there, there's some real challenges there in how to develop communication. But I'll quickly say my thing where my I uh, am working for a manager uh, when I took this uh, full-time position at Yahoo Finance as a senior columnist who's about two decades younger than me, right? So that's all great. Uh, but in my first uh, week at work, I tried emailing her, calling her, texting her, no response, radio silence. And I was so resentful. I was sitting there going like, why did they even hire me? And then I realized that there was this internal communication system at Yahoo Finance called Slack. And many of you may already know about that, but I did not know much about Slack. I'd never used it. I didn't know how it worked, but I knew they had it. So as soon as I keyed into that, I quickly figured it out and I sent her a Slack message and she immediately responded. So that's on me, right? I didn't have that conversation with her about how do you like to communicate? And I could have saved myself a week of, of resentment. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but the fact is, I think we all, communication is the root of it all in a successful teams and loving your job, right? Even sense of humor, like my sense of humor could be quite different than somebody who's in their 20s. What I think is funny, they may not think it's funny at all. Um, and it might actually be inappropriate. <laughs> so, so, I mean, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think this is a really juicy subject. Oh, I think there's so many communication um, bumps in, in the workplace right now. And, and lots of times um, it happens uh, – because of email doesn't get across the nuances. I was talking to somebody recently who um, had uh, gotten a message from a client uh, after they just put on an event. And um, the client said, lots to talk about here, dot, dot, dot. We had about 12 people at the event, dot, dot, dot. And the person read it and he thought the dots meant something like, we're breaking up. It's the end of it. It's horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he he thought he was about to be to lose his client. Um, and he worried and worried for a couple of days. And finally, he reached out and the client 
and he asked for a little more information. She said, oh, there's just so much to talk about. You did such a great job. I really learned a lot. We've got to come up with some new programs. We want you to do some different things. And he said, what about the number of people who showed up for this event? And and she said, oh, it was great. In the past, we've had three or four, and now you had a dozen. We're so excited. And he he had, he was about to you know make some terrible mistake by complaining or something because he was getting more and more worked up and he said you think three dots to me meant the end of the world and to her it meant let's get together soon um so i, I think it we see it happening a lot but i think you know there there's some interesting things that also are happening Be- if people are open to learning from each other the the boomers, um, like me, uh, grew up thinking that mentoring was a wonderful thing. We wanted mentoring. We had it. We wanted to do it. We liked looking people in the eye. We liked actually talking about things. We liked self-expression. All the kind of things that are not very much part of the culture of millennials. Here come the... Um, the new kids off the block, the Gen Z who have, as you said, they've never been in a workplace. And what I'm hearing is when their millennial bosses are saying, oh, they're so needy, they, they're demanding, they think I'm a teacher. What they're expressing is a need for mentoring because they've never had a model. And the boomers, there are, the, there are older people um, who are really good at that, and they enjoy it, and it gives them a sense of satisfaction and pride. Kind of consciously matching some of the younger people with some of the older people can be a great way um, to build a different kind of mentoring. It's almost reciprocal mentoring. If what you do is you have the, the older people talking about the dynamics, they're still human d- dynamics, even if it's remote, but it's harder to learn remote. And the younger people can can make fun of you and say, oh, you got to go to Slack or you got to do this. We can learn from each other if we start building a different kind of mentoring in and if we consciously partner people of different generations when we're learning about how to better communicate with one another. Yeah. And Bev, you know, the other thing is something as simple as writing an email, right? You and I know how to write emails, right? And even we had to learn how to do that because when I first started in the workplace, we weren't writing emails, right? Um, it was not so much of a big exactly. deal. Um, and you picked up the telephone. So, but the thing is now we're quite good at writing emails. Um, but it, the Gen Z, uh, maybe not so much. They don't know how to write a business letter, how to talk to a client. These are basic skills that you get, you absorb when you're in a workplace often. But if you could have a mentoring relationship where someone felt comfortable saying, here's an example of how I would do this, how I would write this note to this person and let them see examples of how it's done um, in a business setting, it, it's, it can really be eye-opening and, and establish a really nice rapport there. I think that's a, a really good point. And something else uh, that I think is um, part of mentoring is mentoring is kind of inherently positive. I mean, to be a mentor, what you're doing is you're sharing a positive a- attitude, you're modeling it, you're finding people um, 
you're helping them find ways to find the good thing in any kind of situation. I think positivity, a conscious choice to be positive and to maintain a positive mindset is part of what happens in a mentoring environment, an environment where there's a lot of mentoring, an environment where there's coaching. And that can be an explicit goal as you're setting up relationships, as you're introducing people. You can suggest to the mentor that, you know, help them see the positive side. And that can, that can go both ways. Um, uh, because if the mentor is positive, the mentee will be too. And it kind of builds and it changes the mindset. It makes people more open to all kinds of things. It doesn't even have to be a mentor within your company. You know, if, if there's a way to build in an organization, uh, an, an industry group, an alumni group, even if you can find someone in a different generation to kind of be able to, to have these work discussions with, uh, it can be super. And even Bev, like I was thinking, if you went to, now that we are back out doing stuff, if you went to uh, a, a gathering, say it may be um, a work gathering and you've never been if you're a younger person or you're an older person and it's going to be a bunch of the younger employees or the younger ones with the older. And I mean, what do you do if you, you don't know what, how to strike up these conversations, how to get started. And one thought I had is that, you know, if you can get the list of who's going to be there, or at least a partial list of who RSVPD yes, to go on LinkedIn and find out what you can learn about them and pick two or three people that you've done some research and go find them. Right. And, and then absolutely. Start I mean, because that can be a great way to start building or, or just informally get a mentor or build a relationship with someone from a different generation. Well, in terms of networking, um, going to events, maybe even being in your own local coffee shop. Another thing you can do with people who are not your colleagues is practice small talk. <laughs> We're yeah. not as good at it as a culture as, it, as we used to be. And and small talk isn't small in its impact. It's about learning how to build trust, learning how to connect with people, learning how to begin an engagement. So if you're feeling that you don't have any mentors and there's nobody around to help you at work, um, look for possibilities to connect with other people. And if you don't know how to connect, notice, okay, I can learn and practice small talk. Go to, it can be um, a class or a church or a, a cocktail party, wherever you go, just practice. Most people are as shy as you are about a small talk. And, and the, the real secret of small talk is being interested and curious about the other person. So you can practice that with anybody and it's going to help you. And another point on I, I, and I love your point, saying it doesn't have to be a mentor within your organization, because I had this vision, Kara, you and I are mm -hmm. extroverts, but we work remotely. And along came COVID, and we were not seeing any other people for the most part. And uh, we didn't we didn't have close colleagues because we we're working remotely and kind of independently. But my mentoring image of COVID was you and I, each with our Labrador retrievers, walking <laughs> around a big field all yeah. through the winter, all through yeah. the heat, and yeah. talking about the workplace. We yeah. mentored each other and our dogs at the same time. And yeah. that that really 
help me kind of stay positive and focused on my career, even though, you know, we didn't know what was going to be happening. Uh, no, so that, I, I think you... And it, and it can't, it's natural when you do it in a setting where you're not saying, you know, um, oh, we're talking like, like you said, the small talk, you're actually doing something, you're outdoors. We, we had our dogs, so we could, we could shift over to them, but, but things would percolate up sort of stream of consciousness almost. And, and we helped each other out. You helped me tremendously, even deciding whether to take the position at Yahoo Finance. I mean, I was able to just knock it against you without saying, Bev, you know, tell me what to do or, you know, what are, what's, what's the homework on it? But you just sort of casually would say, have you thought about this or that? And, uh, and so on. So I do think those, those relationships are critical and it's, it's fun. I, I wanted to mention too, that having the different generations in the workplace and from my own personal example, working with uh, a manager who's that much younger than me is so energizing. It is totally revitalized my career, the way I look at my work, um, because she sees it from a different lens. And and it, it has just ignited me in a way that I never expected. And I'd been writing about this stuff for, for a long time, and I've written a number of books on work and jobs and retirement and money. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden, it, it shifted for me. And uh, her her view, it wasn't all that different, but was it enough to bring a sense of excitement to my work again? And then also I was able to ramp up my learning curve because you and I have talked about this a lot. What do, what do you love most about a job is when you're learning new things, right? Yes. And so I had to learn about social security and Medicare. And these are things, yes, I'd casually written about before, but I always said, oh, let somebody else do that, right? But at Yahoo Finance, they're like, no, Carrie, you're going to do that. And and so I've had to become a bit of an expert in it. And it's been so amazing. <laughs> you know? So I just got to say, getting a push from someone younger from you and a new vision, it can really help older workers want to be in the workplace and want to do their best work ever. Yes, I think that makes so much sense. And now I want to, we started out talking about retirement and I want to go back to that before we run out of time here. I, I'm still troubled why I, why so many people are not grappling with preparing for retirement, where they're not starting early, where they're not thinking about it. And I think partly, uh, is it, um, first they don't think about how long they might be living and needing to support themselves, but also there's kind of a pessimism. Do you, do you find that if people are optimistic about the future and are looking forward, thinking about things they want to do and then looking forward to that, they're much more likely to start putting aside money, start you know, keeping learning, that you have to be a bit optimistic about the future in order to be really good at preparing for retirement. Is that a thing? Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that, Bev. Uh, that the, what's so wonderful is I try to get people to shift to thinking about it's not retirement planning, but you're planning for life, right? So when you're in your 20s and they tell you you need to save for retirement, you're like, yeah, right. You know, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> I'm not making that much money and I want to buy that new sweater or I want to go out to that club or go to that concert or there's so many ways to spend your money. And why, why in the world retirement is decades away? It's you know, not even on your radar. So if you can help people get thinking about 
ways that why saving and like visualize what they're saving for. So it's not some sort of uh, distant mirage of some sort, but actually uh, uh, being able to visualize, visualize a lifestyle that they think they might want um, down the road or even, so you break it into smaller savings goals, but retirement saving is something that really is a stumbling block for people. And it's, it's a huge problem. When you ask people often how much they, you know, you say, how much do you think you should have saved for retirement? And they, they, they just throw a dart. They, they absolutely don't have a clue and they guess and they say, well, you know, I'll think about it when I'm a little closer to it. Um, I'm not really ready to focus on that right now. But the fact is you have to, you absolutely have to, if we're going to have longer lifespans, which is really for especially educated people, it's not everyone, but, but there's definitely, uh, in the 20th century, I mean, we've just added decades to our life. Uh, and so the fact is you do may very well have three decades and you may have health issues at the end of life that are quite expensive. So, um, you need to start thinking early in the, the, Two things about we talked about contract work, and that's something that a lot of people in their 20s end up landing with, as well as older workers. But younger workers, it's because you know, employers say you don't have enough experience or whatever. So, in order to get the experience, they're doing these contract jobs which have no benefits and they're not saving for retirement unless they do it on their own. And if you ask people to save for retirement on, on their own, generally they don't. Right. So uh, about, you know, about 50 percent of American workers do not have access to an employer provided an employer provided retirement plan. And this is a big issue. And so things are happening in the states to start to encourage, find access for people to get started with IRIS. But individual retirement accounts. But the fact is once, and the other good thing in the last tax legislation, the legislation from last year that President Biden signed into law is that more companies are able to uh, automatically enroll employees in retirement plans unless they say no. So, and automatically escalate that percentage that goes to a retirement plan unless the individual opts out. This is really, really important to get people into the saving mode. And, and then it's, you forget about it. If it comes out pre-tax, honestly, you never even know. Although the Roth IRA is fantastic. And if you have a Roth 401k, even better, because if you can get that money taken away without you seeing it and you don't pay tax at the end of the line, that's pretty good stuff for a Roth. Yeah, yeah. I I think um you're making a really important point and and you're never too young to start thinking about it. And it's partly because you may end up being very, very old. As as you know, my mother died not too long ago. She passed away at the age of a hundred and three. Hmm. Now yeah. when I was starting to save for retirement a long time ago, it never occurred to me that I could live that long, but if my mother can do it, wow, that's a lot of years to to be thinking about. And 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 um, that is, you know, a possibility for lots of people that you're going that the sixties are going to be your prime, and think, uh, there, you have right. a lot of years to cover. And you do, and and that's a great thing. But you need to pay attention to that. You know, you can't just kind of wobble into it because. Um, you're ultimately responsible for yourself and how you uh, 
uh, you navigate. And if you have that financial security, it just opens the doors. It is so liberating in terms of how you choose to live your life and what kind of work you do. All of those great things, because money is truly a stumbling block for many people in terms of achieving their dreams. And if you can start early or even, it's never too late, to be honest with you, to get started and and make a plan. And, you know, really, you talk about this, I talk about this, about getting financially fit at any age is going to be empowering. It's all about freedom and meaning and happiness, isn't it? It's it's not money grubbing. It's money as a, a way to allow you to live. Yeah, it's truly a tool because it enables you to say, hey, you know, I want to switch and try this different career. Or, you know, I want to maybe start my own little side business here or whatever it might be, whether I want to go live someplace different for a while and really absorb into a different culture. These things are, money allows you that that um, flexibility to find new pathways that you're not stuck in having to meet certain obligations uh, every single month. And, and it's just, it's a wonderful thing, but people think, you know, money, they get all tied in knots about it. It's, it's really quite simple. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not easy, but it is simple. Yeah, Carrie, thank you so much uh, for coming back. I always um, love our talks and we got through a whole half hour with only talking about dogs once. Um, That's pretty (laughs) good. You know, or your books. I mean, I didn't even get a chance to say how, I mean, you've inspired me so much through the work you've done with your books and, and, you know, you do that with so many people. And I think that's the message that needs to get out there. It's it's being proactive. It's being your own CEO and, and thinking like one and all those wonderful empowerment things that we can all take those tools. And Bev, you've done a lot to open that pathway. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for uh, being here today. And I look forward to talking next time, uh, either in the field or in front of a mic. But have a, um, a great day, Carrie. Great. Thank you so much. Today, we've been talking with Carrie Hannon about thriving in the workplace. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. And our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. Today's tip is that no matter how much you love your job, it's always smart to be preparing for your next phase. That means learning new things, networking, and noticing what makes you happy. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed today's show, please tell your friends and followers.